Thanksgiving is over, and I'm sure you had a feast, but today we are literally going to feast on God's Word. Uh, Matthew 5, 4 says, Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, this is our soul's sustenance. In Luke 10, uh, Martha was scurrying. She was anxious and distracted by so many things. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen literally the good meal. There's one thing necessary you and I need in our life, and that is to sit at the feet of Jesus and be fed uh, by him. And so today, uh, I want us to sit at the feet of Christ and learn from his word. Romans 15.4 says, These things were written long ago, but they were written for our instruction. They have a historical account, and it has a practical application. 2 Timothy 3.16, probably the most popular verse on the word of God, I said, it is God-breathed and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. It is authoritative because it comes from God and it's full of love uh, when it's delivered by him. 2 Peter 1.21 says, the Holy Spirit uh, guided men as they wrote the Bible. And so it is divine, yet it is understandable. And so today we are not going to snorkel. Any of you ever been snorkeling? How many of you have been scuba diving? Fewer of you, you scuba divers, the Lord bless you. You have seen things only us snorkelers can long to look at. And so today we're going scuba diving. We are not just staying on the surface saying, oh, that's cute. That's pretty. We're going deep. We're putting on the tanks and we're going to be here for a while. Um, women, the, the uh, mug exchange doesn't start till two. So Broncos 225, we've got plenty of time. glad you're here. And I am, I am touched by you over and over and over and over. That's four times. The response of this church to tragedy is nothing less than God's supernatural work through us. And I praise God for you. Because more, more, more than once, uh, almost every person that doesn't attend this church that came up, they said, I am just amazed at how many people are helping, and I'm amazed at how many people have stepped up. And there were lots of people that helped out on Tuesday. But this body knows how to respond to tragedy. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, I put a picture up there last week just to show the, the darkness of that chapter. It was the sovereignty of God in our suffering. It was the providence of God in our pain. And we moved through darkness into the light. We moved through darkness into the light. And we saw uh, in this book, Ruth, the God of the ordinary, it began dark. There was a dark picture. In the outline of that chapter, there was the darkness of depth. It was the depths of despair. It was the determination of a daughter and the disillusionment of a mother. And here are the things we found out from last week. Should be a slide on that. Life and death are not ultimately in human hands. Life and death are in the hands of God. And we respond to tragedy in two ways. We either turn from God, uh, like Elimelech, who was a practical wanderer, or Orpah, she was a typical rejecter. Things were just going to be too tough. She had to give God a blank check. She was probably going to be single for the rest of her life. And she said, no, I'm going back to my family and to my gods, but Ruth clung to her. And so we can either turn from God or we can turn to God. And Naomi 
uh, even in her, her bitterness there, even in her unpleasantness, she went back home because she knew that's where she needed to be. And Ruth clung to her. And the end of that chapter, I just wanted to show you on one single slide. If we move from darkness and the depths of despair to one girl's determination to a mother-in-law's disillusionment, we had hope foreshadowed. We had hope foreshadowed. And so we didn't end with a dark picture. We ended with a picture of this harvest. We ended last week where it said she returned and Ruth the Moabite and her daughter-in-law with her returned to the country of Moab. It's at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so we began, there should be a slide on that of a picture of a barley harvest. And so today we see, we're going to see hope fulfilled. Here's the outline of Ruth chapter two. Ruth is recognized, Ruth is rewarded, Ruth is received, Ruth rejoices, and that hope that we left with last week is fulfilled today. And like last week, all I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through every single verse, and it may take a while, and then we'll draw some application at the end. Pay attention, pay careful attention to two, two different things. Uh, in, in Old Testament stories, in narrative, uh, the way we see the mo- story move are often key words. Last week, it was, the key word was return. This week, the key word is favor. It's mentioned three times. And also pay attention to the characters, how they're described and how they discuss with one another. Because often you find out in narrative, it's how the narrator describes that person and it's how that person talks. And for those of you that are into grammar, I gave you the handout. Like I said, I would give you last week. You saw how beautifully it was laid out. One, one, it was laid out last week. Here's the setting of the times of the judges. And then Naomi in the first five verses loses her husband, loses her boys, and she's left with two daughters-in-law. And it develops, what will they do? And the pinnacle of last week was Ruth clung to her. And then she commits to Naomi and God. And they return. And Naomi says, why do you call me Naomi? God has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and I came back empty. And we talked about Naomi, though she returned to God, though she returned to the truth, she may have missed the person who was right in front of her, Ruth. And it ended at the beginning of the barley harvest. And if you flip it over, you see that is uh, the prologue that serves today to show us Boaz. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. I like that name. It's a good biblical name. It means strength. Lawson, Philip Rumley was almost Boaz. He was. But we decided not to. And I love the name Lawson. But he was almost Boaz. That would have given us Bo and Luke. So... Boaz, look what it says about him. He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. And you see on that little plot line there that this prologue serves to introduce a new character. Ruth knows nothing of this man. You and I get this verse and we're like, oh my, here is strength. She's coming back. She's with Naomi. And here is a strong man. And here's that name again. If you saw in chapter 1, A man from the clan of Elimelech. His name is Elimelech. My God is king. And here's a man from that clan. And you and I are thinking, oh, this is good. And so we're going to see Ruth 
wants to find favor. And then you're going to see Boaz gets introduced to Ruth. And you're going to see that she does find favor. And you're going to see Boaz explain to his servants to give her even more favor. And then she's going to return home to Naomi. And then it sets the scene for next week. We're going to need a commercial break. We're going to need an intermission. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so Ruth makes a request. We've got this idea there's a strong man who's worthy. Worthy means he's a man of reputation. His reputation goes before him. This is a man of integrity and he's from the right family. And Ruth says, I want to go glean. May I? Look what she says. Let me go glean. She asked permission. In Leviticus 23, 22, she had the right to go into the field. She had the right, according to the law of God, she had the right to go into the field and to glean. And those who owned the field had to let her go. They, she didn't even have to go ask for permission. She had the right to do it. Leviticus 23, 22 says, leave the corners of your fields so that the poor, so that the foreigner, so that the sojourner may come and gather food. Yet here's Ruth not into t- entitlement, asks her mother-in-law, may, may I go? Let, let me go into the field and let me go and find some grain in whose sight I might find favor. If you want a New Testament word for that Old Testament Hebrew word, it is grace, that I shall find grace. And Naomi said to her, go my daughter. Notice what she calls her. She doesn't say, go my daughter-in-law. She says, go my daughter. You've already been uh, welcomed into this family. And she sought to go about it the right way without entitlements. In chapter one last week, we saw that she gave God a blank check. God, I'm going where Naomi goes. Where she goes, I will go. Where she lies, I will lie. Let nothing but death part us. And she doesn't then say, I have a right. She says, ah, oh, let me go. She was willing to work as God guided. Now watch this. If you are a note taker in your Bible, you're going to want to circle this. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, my Bible says, happened. Some Bibles may say, as it turned out. Whatever the word or phraseology is for you, you want to circle that, highlight it, double underline it. I don't know. Put some note there. She happened, love this. This is my favorite subject to talk on. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And you're like, this is getting better. She just happened. Boaz in this part of the field just decides this year there's another part of the field The way this is described, there may be another part of the field that belongs to someone else. And so he goes to this part of the field and he's now, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And so times are uh, are good. God has set his hand back on Bethlehem and the house of bread is being restocked. And so he goes out and he's got this field that needs to be gleaned. And then she comes and so happens I like to say that she's walking down the road and 
and there's a, there's a neon sign there that says, um, you know, uh, I don't know. Give me another Old Testament. There's a, there's a sign that says Samson's field. And, and she says, I don't know who Samson is. And then she, there's a neon sign that says Boaz's field. And she said, I, I guess I'll just go to Boaz's field. She just happens upon it. Nothing just happens. The narrator of the story chose that phraseology, happened as it turned out, because God is guiding every decision in this story. The Proverbs tells us a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Ruth planned her way. She politely asked her mother-in-law if she could go. Her mother-in-law, who treats her like a daughter, said, go, my daughter. And so she goes and she makes a decision to go into the field of Boaz. God, and I quote from another pastor, aims to manifest his glory in the nitty-gritty details of life. Amen? God doesn't just work in the grand displays of miracles. He works in the nitty-gritty details of life. On November 1st, 1997, had to make sure I got that right, November 1st, it's my brother's birthday. I call, I wish him birthday. Happy birthday, brother. We love birthdays around here. And I go to Dallas Theological Seminary where I'm going to investigate whether I should give my time, money, and resources to this seminary. I just happened to choose that day that I just happened to go onto that campus. I just happened to be there and there just happens to be a girl there. I didn't know girls went to seminary. I almost said cemetery. I didn't know girls went to seminary. And I go, girls go to seminary? And then there's a girl there, a woman there that's at seminary and I'm like, wow. So I just happened to go over and happened to ask her, what teacher are you going to visit? Now she being like all the other seminarians and all the potential, potential seminarians were going to hear Dr. Um, I forget his name. What was his name? Pentecost, Dwight Pentecost or someone like, so one of these famous guys from Dallas Seminary. Um, no, I was going to see him. She was going to see Dr. Burns. That's what it was. Everybody, oh, let's go hear Dr. Burns. No, not me. I'm going to hear Pentecost. He's like, he was there before Dallas Seminary. He, he's got the name Pentecost. I mean, goodness. And so I, I said, where are you going? She goes, I'm going to go see Dr. Burns. I'm like, well, we'll maybe, maybe we'll catch up later. And I go and I hear Daniel 9 from the guy that wrote the commentary on Daniel 9. Wow. And then afterwards, I see her again. And I said, so what are you, what are you doing here? Well, I got my degree in psychology, and I was thinking about coming here to, to get, a, you know, get a biblical counseling degree. And it's fascinating. And I get in my car, and I say a prayer and say, Lord, if there are women here who want to study your word, maybe I should come. And one year, not even one year later, it's at orientation. And I just, and now I didn't just happen to do it. I sat right in front of her just because I wanted to get in her way. And praise the God, praise God for that day, November 1st, that, that she just 
She chose to go. I chose to go. We didn't know one another. And by God's grace and for God's glory, it will be 14 years in one week and three days. God works in the nitty-gritty details of life, not in just the grand displays. And I honestly... Honestly, this is just my opinion. I think he glories in that more than the miracles because that's where most of us live. Most of the Bible is about the story of men and women learning, loving, living, and honoring God in the humdrum of life. I hope that encourages your ordinary days. I hope that encourages the next time you change a dirty diaper, you prepare for dinner, you wash the dishes, you go to your board meeting on Tuesday, you have breakfast this week, you take a trip to the grocery store. I hope that encourages your heart that God is at work. God is at work. And we're only through verse three. And behold, it's like your eyes are drawn. Oh boy. Boaz came from Bethlehem. He had taken some of the the produce in town and he's coming back and he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. The overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And so here's this man. We've already heard about him. He is strong. He is worthy. And the first words from his lips are, the Lord bless you. And his workers don't don't say, Yeah, it's good to see you too. The Lord bless you. And so here's a great working environment. It's like Google. I mean, this is where you want to work. This is the top 10 list. You want to be at Boaz's farm in his field because here's a man who is worthy and he comes back and he greets his people. Is that what you do when you see people in the morning? Good to see you. First thing you do, how are you? The Lord bless you. And then your response, the Lord bless you. This, you're seeing that this is building up to be something great. So here's a man who's strong and worthy and who treats his employees with respect and his employees like him. He likes them. It's going to be a great Christmas party. And then Boaz said to his young man, probably a college intern, Johnny College, who's in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? He's observant. Sees new, new, he knows his company well, and he sees a new employee, and he's not even a new employee. She's just there working hard, and he says, uh, whose young woman is this? Now, we have some young men here, young men. We have some young women here. <laughs> I love teaching this chapter when there are singles in the room. Take your pen out and take notes because this is good stuff. Number one, he observed. He didn't just run right over there. He's just making an observation. He is patient in the process. Whose young woman is this? Johnny College says, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answers, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now he says some other things you'll find out in just a second. And so in chapter 6, we get who it is. In verse 7, we get what she's done. She said, please let me glean. Notice what she said. So she starts with her mother-in-law, who treats her like a daughter. And she says, let me go glean in a field in whose side I might find favor. And then she shows up 
to the field of Boaz, and she says, she's entitled, remember, Leviticus 23, 22, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She doesn't just come in and say, hey, I'm poor, I'm a sojourner, just hook me up. She says, may I? May I come and work in this field? So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. If you go back one chapter, chapter verse 9 of chapter 1, the Lord that grant you that you may find rest. And so she's only had a short rest. Guess what the key word for next week's sermon is? Rest. It's foreshadowing. You and I are reading this going, this is getting good. And he's not even to verse 8. And so now he observes, he inquires, he gets information on who she is and what she's done. She has been working hard all morning long. And so he goes to her, this strong, worthy man who's got a good reputation in the city and a good reputation with his people. And he says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Whoa, doesn't call, she's a Moabite. I could go into some detail in Deuteronomy about how they, the Israelites were to treat Moabites. Here's a man of grace, and he says, My daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. You obviously had other fields to choose from, and you came into my field, and you've been gleaning here. Uh, you know what? Stay here. Let your buys be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He's walking around the office. Here, here's your cubicle, um, and here's a water cooler, and you just, you've got a job here. You, I, I have looked, I have observed you, I have found out about you. You're nothing but a hard worker. Stay here. And notice her response. Then she said, yeah, that's right. You owe me because in Leviticus 23, 22, I'm supposed... No, that's not what it says. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. The question, it's unbelievable that you would show me any grace. I don't belong to this nation. I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite of all people. And you have shown me And then he answers her. But Boaz answered her as if to say, no need to ask a question. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Johnny College gave him the whole lowdown. Now you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She asked a question, why? 
And he says, because you have given your all to God. You have come under the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And the idea behind that, you can see it in Exodus 19.11, Deuteronomy 32.11, Ezekiel 16.8. It's the idea of one coming and marrying somebody. And she says, you've basically given your life to God. You've been showed favor because you have trusted in the God of Israel. Young men, before you marry a young woman, make sure she's married to God. Young women, before you marry a young man, make sure he is under the wings of God. And guess what's funny? It is funny. It's humorous. It's, this is a comedy in Hebrew narrative. Because there's a tragedy that will be restored. This verse 12, if you're making a connection to it, Ruth's going to talk about that next week. He said, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord repay you. And she's going to say, hey, 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 next week. That whole Lord repay you, the Lord bless you deal. You're in a position to do that. (laughs) You'll have to wait on that. Come back next week. And then she said, and this is the third time. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She repeatedly lets him know, I am a foreigner. I am not of your servants, yet you have extended grace to me. She is overwhelmed by amazing grace. That's good. We could stop right here, but we're not. And at mealtime, now watch this, gentlemen, young men, it is okay to go on dates, make them lunch dates, right here. It's biblical. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And the New American Standard says he served her. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her. The New American Standard says Boaz served her. Oh, there's so much going on in this verse. He served her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Number one, Long before Lincoln was walking with his men, Boaz was eating with his. Here's the guy that owns the field, and he's sitting with his reapers. He's eating with his servants. This is a man who is a servant among servants. He gets down with his people, and he walks with them, and he talks with them, and he eats with them. And he serves Ruth. Lunch dates are good. And there's leftovers. It's like going to Chili's and getting a quesadilla explosion salad because they're huge. They're the size of this pulpit. You eat your piece. She eats her piece. And then you get a big old doggy bag and you take it with you. And it's good. Leftovers are biblical. Here they are in the Old Testament. Turn to the new. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus feeds uh, the others. And there's always food left over. God's blessing is abundant. And did you see this? We sang it here. If Boaz was singing, O Holy Night, he would have said, and the slave has become our sister. 
She's now welcomed into the family. She is eating with them. She is fellowshipping with them. And she has some left over. How do we know it's a lunch date? Next verse, when she arose to glean. So there's still hours in the day. She doesn't just, she doesn't just get a, a job and says, you know what? I'm cutting out early today. I've got a job. I got some leftovers, quesadilla explosion. This is good. I'm going home. She goes out to work again. She is a hard worker. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her or do not embarrass her. The idea behind that is set her up to succeed and don't you make a big deal of it. You just set it out. In fact, throw some extra bundles out. So when she comes by, she has plenty. So here's her potential savior that we will see in two weeks and he's already setting her up with an abundant life because he is making sure It's right out there, and he's protecting her along the way. He provides for her. He protects her. And also put out some bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Don't reproach her. Don't rebuke her. Don't go near her. Now you're starting to think, this Boaz, this Boaz, and it's history. We aren't told in the Scripture, but the commentaries say this. Because he's the owner of the field, he's probably a little bit older. He's probably 40 and balding and not like Johnny College, and, but he's savvy. He's, he's a worthy man, and he's a savvy man. He's like, you guys just keep your hands off. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Fascinating. She is a hard-working woman. She got up early. She didn't sleep in. She said, Naomi... I want to go into somebody's field so I might find favor. May I go? And she says, you may go. And she shows up, please, may I I glean here? And they said, you may glean here. And so she works all morning. And the only time she rested is to get a drink of water because water's good for you. Did you know, and this is just a side note, I just put it here in my notes because it's fascinating that if you were to read, this is the English Bible. If you were to go and pick up a Hebrew Bible, One, you'd start at this end. It's just different. But Proverbs 31 is immediately followed by the book of Ruth. Here are the principles that you teach your young men and your young women in Proverbs 31. And here's the picture of it. Fascinating to me. And so she gleans in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. And these are one of those assignments you get at seminary. They're like, oh, what does ephah mean? And you get to not sleep that night because you're trying to figure it out. It's just a whole lot of barley. A lot. Like a five-gallon drum of barley. So here she is beating it out. She doesn't just glean it. She does the work and she continues to work. She's hardworking. And then she takes care of mama and she took it up. So imagine the only, the only physical description in Proverbs 31, it says, it talks about her arms are strong. And here's a strong armed woman who takes up this ephah of barley, puts it on her back. Probably you get the picture that she's carrying this back and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Maybe it's getting late. She's looking out the window and she sees Ruth coming and she's like, you know, she's already deadlifted and clung and she's put this on her back and she's walking with all this barley. Wow. And so Naomi's like, whoa, this is good. And she also brought out and gave 
her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She didn't, Naomi didn't even see it, but she shows up, she takes the ephah off, and then the doggy bag. I had this for lunch. It was amazing. And here's some for you. Here's the heart of a woman who's been get shown absolute, overwhelming grace, has some left over, and she goes and shares it to her nearest neighbor and says, Mama, this is for you. Wow. And her mother-in-law, in verse 19, asks the question, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. There's the question. And here's the answer. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is strong. It's Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living Ruth or the dead Naomi. Because Naomi, she thought herself was empty. She thought there was no hope for her. And she said, this Boaz has been kind to you and he's been kind to me. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. Whoa. Yeah, you're supposed to stop right here and go, this is getting good. Like this is where it cuts to a commercial and you're just left hanging there going, what is coming next? Ruth said, I, I've got more to tell you. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, 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 he's one of our redeemers. He said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finish all my harvest. Naomi, whose motherly instincts come out, said to Ruth, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. He said, he said, stay next to my young No, no, you go out with his young women. Lest in another field you be assaulted. And so Naomi's motherly instinct says, go with his women. And, and what's Ruth going to say? So she kept close to the young women of Boaz. She listened to her mother-in-law. She listened to Boaz, though she kind of got excited. Here she was, a young Moabite girl saying, I can go out in the field with all these boys. She said, stay near the girls. Stay near the girls. Gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We begin at the end of chapter one. It was at the beginning of the barley harvest, she goes, she finds a job until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived, she stayed and cared for her mother-in-law. If God is sovereign in our suffering, if he is providential over our pain, God is also sovereign in our decisions, our decisions he is providential and he reigns, R-E-I-G-N. He reigns over our relationships. There's not a man or woman here today who is married that God's sovereign hand isn't in it. And he, did, he joined you together because he knew exactly what he was doing. Every single man and woman is in here today, however you met, however ordinarily you met, 
however unassuming, however unmiraculous that you met, you are here today. You have said, I do. And you've been living with each other for a year, up to 14 years. Some of you, a long time. God love you. And it's not by accident. It's not by accident. And oh, I see and hear and pray for some who are just making it in their marriage and in their relationships. Oh, if I can just make it through. And they don't see what God has joined together. Let no man separate. And they say, God has done this. God's bringing them together. Now, they, this was just the first lunch date. I mean, we got to go one more chapter before all this happens. Well, actually two. But you'll come back next week, I hope. You see where it ends? Hope foreshadowed. Beginning of the barley harvest. Hope is beginning to be fulfilled. It's at the end of the barley harvest. She's got a job. And Boaz is of the clan of Elimelech. And it's got you thinking and you want to read ahead. Go for it. Just come back next week. So what can we learn from this chapter? What can we learn from these 23 verses? First, we're going to learn some main points concerning God. Number one, God prepares and God plans our encounters. God is sovereign. And God works in and through our decisions. Boaz decided to harvest that portion of the field. Naomi encouraged Ruth to go and glean. Ruth went to find favor, and she found favor. God works in and with and through our decisions. He is not in opposition to ordinary common sense. You plan your way, he'll guide your steps. Nothing earth-shattering there, but this isn't an earth-shattering book until the end, so to speak. So what are the main points concerning us? Number one, we must focus on faithfulness. Uh, Boaz was a worthy man, a man of social influence. His, his, the community liked him. His workers liked him. Ruth liked him. He was faithful. Ruth was a hard worker. She got up early in the morning. She went and worked in the morning. She had lunch because she was invited to lunch. And she worked into the evening and she took home leftovers to her mama, <clears throat> mother-in-law. We must focus on faithfulness. We must work on worthiness. Boaz's reputation preceded him. Ruth's reputation preceded her. Our reputation precedes us. We must cultivate character every day. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. And we must interact in our relationships with integrity. Every single person in this story has the interests of another person above their own. Naomi for Ruth. Ruth for Naomi, Boaz for Ruth and his workers. It's fascinating. There's so much here. And here we have an Israelite who you will see in two chapters come together with a Moabite. Man showing grace because he is ruled by a greater law in the law um, of Israel. He goes by the spirit of the law. He didn't have to throw down bundles to her. 
He didn't have to. The law only calls him to just leave the corners of the field. He said, put out bundles. Bundles. Fascinating. So gentlemen, what can we learn from strong, worthy Boaz? Which means moral integrity, financial stability, social influence. What can we learn from him? Number one, he was a gentleman. He proceeded with patience. He asked questions. He was a gentleman. Second Peter puts virtue at the top of knowledge and everything else. We got to be gentlemen. I'm trying to teach my young boys to be gentlemen. Where they're going through a phase right now. I love them. But they're going through this spitting phase. And I asked, I asked another mother before church today. I said, did your boys go through the spitting phase? And she said, yes. Okay, so I'm not in this alone. And they don't get to do that. So we're, we're going to spit outside in private. You don't, why are you spitting? Did you just, is this a new thing for you? We're teaching them to be gentlemen. I had a talk with them before. When we go in to worship through song, you stand, you sing, you look. We don't fidget. We don't do, we want them to be gentlemen. He was an observant man. He, he knew what was going on in his company. He understood he was patient in the process. He didn't just run right up to you. Hi, I'm, I'm Boaz. I'm of the claim of Elimelech. And uh, well, uh, let's get married. No, he was, he was observant. He was a leading man. Stay here in my field. He was a protecting man. I'll provide for you. He was a tender man. He served her. He was a kind speaking man. She said that yourself. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not a servant. And he's a humble serving man. Amen? Gentlemen, it's all right there. We don't even have to leave Ruth too. And ladies, here's your P31 right here in Ruth 2. Seven things about her. Number one, she's a submissive woman. May I, may I, may I. Not entitled, but submissive. She's polite. Please let me go and do this. She's a hardworking woman. She got up early and she worked into the evening. And she came home and she served there too. And she was humble. How in the world did I find favor? She was respectful to her mother-in-law, to Boaz, to everybody in front of her. She was respectful. She was accountable. I'm going to go out in the field with the young women. No, you're, or with the young men. No, you're going with the young women. No problem. So I'll keep close to the young women. Didn't have to be told twice. And she was an obedient woman. She listened to her mother-in-law. Man, I love teaching this to young singles. I would have gone on with tons more illustrations, but not everybody here is single. If you are, we can meet after. Young kids, anybody? So how, how, okay, great. That's a great Old Testament story. You've kind of alluded to a grace. Connect it to the New Testament for me. Please bring it home. I mean, it's 1115. No problem. Number one, we see that leaving everything to follow Jesus will be rewarded. Ruth left everything to follow after Naomi's God. Luke 18, Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, truly, there's no one who's left house or wife, brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come. And there's an Old Testament picture of that. Ruth left everything. 
Number two, Jesus seeks, is seeking the outcast. Oh, we could go, if we, if we were in South America or some other part of the country who did like four-hour worship services, I'd just keep going right on to John 4, where Jesus sought the Samaritan. How can you, being a Jew, have conversation with me, a Samaritan woman, if you knew who gives you this living water? Wow. Grace extended to another race. You starting to see Boaz as kind of a picture of somebody we know? And God sees our work. Amen. You and I will go to work tomorrow. You and I will go to our respective businesses, whether they be inside the home or outside the home, and we will go to work and we will make copies and we will check emails and we will just do work things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, God does not forget that. Your work, where you're at right now, whether you're a student, whether you're in the corporate world, whether you're at home with little kids, your work is your mission field, and God is using those simple decisions in everyday life to change the world. Don't ever forget that. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. For the God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name. My friends, God will not, and it says it right there in Hebrews 6.10, God will not overlook the work that you have done for helping four families walk through tragedy. He will not overlook that. He has promised it in his word. He will not overlook it. Take joy in that. And here's what's great. God does even more than we ask or think. She wanted to glean in the field and she's going to get a husband. She she wanted to glean and she got lunch and leftovers. I love that. Boaz comes back from Bethlehem to his farm and he's like, whose woman is this? She's not married no problem. I, I don't, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. I almost named my third kid you, but I didn't. But tell me, did you know when the first time you saw her, I mean, did you know what you were going to do? I mean, come on, tell me. Because he lived. He, he lived in history. This isn't just a story in the Old Testament. He lived. I'm going to see him there, and I'm going to ask it. And I'm going to say, Lawson, you were almost named him. Oh, pray for him. I hope he comes to know the Lord Jesus. But perhaps the greatest connection to the New Testament in this chapter is following the word favor. In whose sight shall I find favor? And it's, it's an act of worship. She fell on her face bowing to the ground. Why have I found favor in your eyes? And then in 13, she says, I have found favor. You have not dealt with me like you could have dealt with me. And if that isn't a picture of the gospel... Every human heart seeks to be extended grace. 
and every human heart should bow and put their face to the ground and say in unison, why me? Because I was a sinner. I lived a wretched life. I was going opposite of you. I thought I controlled the world. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I had the answers to all of life's problems. And you took my dad. And the guy that discipled me right then said he had to take your earthly father so that you would see your heavenly father. Wow. Favor. For it is grace. For it is by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not of myself. It's not of works. So no one should boast. Wow. 